Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now, and you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Maggie Smith is the author of You Could Make This Place Beautiful, a memoir. This is actually one of the book club picks that I have selected for Zibby's book club. You can go to zibbysbookclub.com and join the virtual club, or we're starting chapters all over the place. So if you are interested in starting a chapter, just go to the website, check it out, and fill out the quick form, and I will get back to you with a whole PDF of what you need to do next. We're really excited to be partnering with so many people. But anyway, our club is going to be reading Maggie Smith's You Could Make This Place Beautiful, a memoir. She is also the author of Good Bones, The Well Speaks of Its Own Poison, Lamp of the Body, and the national bestsellers Goldenrod and Keep Moving, Notes on Loss, Creativity, and Change. A 2011 recipient of a Creative Writing Fellowship from the National Endowment for the Arts, Maggie has also received several Individual Excellence Awards. 
from the Ohio Arts Council, two Academy of American Poet Prizes, a Pushcart Prize, and the fellowships from the Sustainable Arts Foundation and the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts. She has been widely published, appearing in the New York Times, The New Yorker, The Paris Review, The Nation, The Best American Poetry, and more. Welcome, Maggie. Thanks for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss You Could Make This Place Beautiful, a memoir. I am so happy to be back. Thanks for having me. I have to say, when I even heard you had written a memoir, I was like, (gasps) I can't wait to read this. And then I saw your gorgeous cover, which is like outstanding, amazing. Yeah. I mean, so amazing. I'm sorry I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, but there it is. It's kind of beyond. And then I started reading it. And I could not stop. I was like, I'll just dip into it. That's why I thought this podcast was a while ago because I read it like as soon as the the (laughs) advanced copy came. I was like clearing the decks, have to read this, inhaled the whole thing. It was so good. Oh my gosh. So anyway, congratulations. Absolutely loved it. Loved everything about it. Thank you. I love when I I hear that people like gulped Gulped, gulped a book down. So that's, I'm I'm glad you did. See, there you go, using the, the nice language, you know, figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, well, for those who have not, maybe they aren't familiar with your poems and maybe they haven't read the back cover and they don't know what you could make this place beautiful is about. Could you explain it a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm primarily a poet. I've been primarily a poet my whole uh, my whole adult life. And yet not everything will fit inside a poem, or at least not one of my poems, which tend to be pretty brief. So the memoir is, you know, maybe the best way to think about it is like my book, Keep Moving, was sort of about pressing forward through a really difficult time, which for me was my divorce, though it came out during the pandemic. So I think it was just a tough time for everyone. And this book is really more looking back and kind of a reckoning with the past and an attempt to find myself again and sort of recover myself in the process. You know, I think a lot of us wake up in middle age in particular and are sort of like, how did I get here? Like how, what, (laughs) what choices or paths or forks in the road or opportunities I took or opportunities I didn't take led me to this particular point in my life. And um, for me, the memoir was about sort of reckoning with the end of my marriage and trying to figure out the who am I now piece, but also like the who have I always been mm. piece, right? You know, I don't know. I think about the, the, we talk a lot about midlife crisis as being a midlife thing. And the opposite of crisis is like recovery. So I think of this book as like a midlife recovery of self or a return to self, which I think women in particular, I think a lot of us need that. Yeah. I like this idea of a reckoning because it's like a midlife reckoning with who we are and where we've gone and what we can do with that spot now, nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But a part, a lot of your book felt very poetic. And that, I mean, obviously you can't like, you can take the, the poet out of a form or I don't know, bad joke, but you know what I mean? Like, no, I'm with you. It's not a hat that I can like put on or take off. Like it's, I'm going to enter every piece of writing as a poet. So I write, I probably write emails 
as a poet, Zibby. Like I, I, you know, why, why is she writing emails and couplets? Oh, she's, <laughs> she's a poet. So yeah, I knew when I approached this book that I wasn't going to be doing it as someone else. I wasn't trying to think, okay, well, how would a prose writer write this memoir? I was letting myself do it as a poet, which maybe helps explain the structure a little bit. So you decided to, it's some of the chapters, if you will, are just short, like sometimes even a line, two lines, three lines. And they all sort of, some of the shortest ones seem to follow almost like their own conversation. And then you have longer ones that delve deeper into different scenes. So talk talk about the structure and if that just came as you started writing or how. Yeah. I mean, there was no outline. <laughs> I don't think I've ever, I haven't outlined anything since, uh, you know, high school probably, but I, I sort of wrote it piece by piece. And then at the end of sort of the the big first draft, I printed everything out and literally did what I do with collections of poems, which is spread the whole thing out on my living room floor. And I got colored markers, borrowed markers from my children and started to kind of color code the different strands in the book. So the sort of italicized, more poetic sections and the questions and the forward moving narrative. And then really tried to sort of leaf in all the different strands together so that not one would sort of drop away for 50 pages and then surge back in. So there would kind of be these different breadcrumb trails for, for the reader to follow. And you're right, I used a ton of white space. In this book, I was joking that I I made my publisher use a lot of paper and not a lot of ink um, <laughs> in some ways because, you know, and as a poet, I'm used to using white space as literal breathing room to kind of slow the reader down and also as a space where the reader can stop and reflect and let an image or a line of dialogue or something just kind of resonate, you know, like after a bell has been rung and it kind of hums just to sit with things. And I knew I didn't want to spoon feed things to the reader. I wanted to like respect the reader's intelligence enough that I could hand them a, you know, four or five sentence or four or five paragraph or four or five page description of an event or an experience or a conversation or a therapy session or an internal monologue and then let them make the connections and sit with it for a minute before moving on to the next thing. It's like prayer in a way, doesn't it? It reminds me of silent devotion now and now we go to this and, you know, all those same sort of beats the service. I love that. I mean, because it's about having time to come to your own conclusions yep. too and, and think, okay, how does this ping off of, even if it doesn't completely match or kind of rhyme with my experience, how does it sort of ping off of something that feels familiar to me? And I think if you're barreling through narratively, it's hard to give the reader time and space to kind of consider some of those things are the connections, and and I wanted to be able to do that in the structure of the book. I feel like your book also deals just so so much with home and what what home means and what it looks like, what it feels like, who's in it, what that does to you at different times, like what different homes feel like, and then how do you look at them again from the present into the past, and like what you know, where is our home? What does that even mean? 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. I think of, I think we'd probably be better off thinking of ourselves as home so that no matter where we are, we are sort of grounded in a sense of, you know, self and, and agency. But for me personally, I still basically live in my hometown. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost, you know, central Ohio is sort of a character (laughs) in, in this memoir. And, you know, I was saying to a friend recently, I, there are a lot of sort of like weirdly painful things that can happen when you stay in the same place for a long time and through major life changes, right? Because you're not, you drive past a place and you remember being there with a certain person or you just even living in my house, which, you know, my kids have only lived in this house. And yet, on the flip side of that, and for me, the trade-off is absolutely worth it. I'm still with my people. Mm-hmm. So I still have Sunday dinner at my mom and dad's house where <laughs> I lived from age six to age 18, right? And my sisters and brothers-in-law are still here. And if I lived in a new place and gave myself a fresh start so I didn't have constant reminders of the before times, mm-hmm. I also wouldn't have neighbors showing up on my porch with cake when they know it's my first Christmas morning without my children here in the house and, and they're offering things to me. I mean, the, the amount that I felt held by my community throughout the past few years, I mean, it's, I can't even overstate it. It's, it's enormous. Nobody gets through the tough stuff on their own steam alone. Like it really does. It takes a village to raise kids and it takes a village to grieve and and overcome deep loss. And I feel really lucky to have a home to help me through it. It's amazing. Yeah, I remember I wrote this whole essay about divorce pain because I feel like it is such a raw, painful thing to have your kids and then not have them. You know, like mm-hmm. to have them be out just out of grasp and know they're okay, but just like you're prevented from being with them by divorce in some way. And it, it's such a, it, so many people feel this, moms, dads, you know, caregivers. And I didn't feel like it had been properly named. Like, why don't we talk about it? You know, like it's so, such a shared feeling and it's, you know, obviously not compared to like actually losing a child, you know, you can't compare it to all these big things, but, but it is sort of its own special breed of hell, right? That feeling. Um, So when I read that in your, when your book, I was like, oh my gosh, I just like felt it through my bones, through everything. Yeah, it is. And there, we don't really have a lot of, a lot of names for different kinds of, you know, sort of ambiguous grief or anxiety. And I think, you know, divorce is one of those experiences where it's it's a loss, but not a loss, Right. you know? And it's like, how do you talk about it? I've been thinking a lot about this. It's like, I used to say, I'm sorry when people announce their divorces. And I'm actually not saying that anymore <laughs> unless they communicate a lot of grief and sadness that tells me that that's how I should be responding. Yep. But that's not necessarily everyone's sort of like emotional weather when they come out of their marriage isn't necessarily one of grief. And yet it's so complicated, especially if, if there are kids involved, like no one sort of comes out unscathed from it. I had, I had people just like a burst, sorry for the sirens behind us, but burst into tears when I told them about 
my divorce and I realized very soon that it had nothing to do with me. This was all, it was like, it was the biggest litmus test or Rorschach or whatever. Yeah. Like when you share what, how, what their reactions are says much more about their own stuff. So I was telling all these people at the time and among my friend group, and this was, I don't know, almost 10 years ago at this point, not quite that long, but like most of whom had not gotten divorced. And then I told this one woman and she was like, she didn't like, get that sad face or anything. And she was just like, oh, how do you feel about that? Mm. You know, just like very straightforward. And I was like, here's how I feel about it. You know, and then I found out she had been divorced. <laughs> so, so it gave us no surprise to hear you say that. It's like, yes, as soon as you've been through it and you then you know what you're supposed to say, which of course, you know, always keeps seem, seeming to be the case in times of bad times. But. I love the, how do you feel about it? Like, let yeah. me, let me hear your emotional response before I put my stuff on you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to borrow that if I you can. can. You can borrow that. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell her. I'll t- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, how did you feel about, I mean, there was a lot about your ex that had to be in this book, right? That you, how did you come to terms with that? How did you, and he sort of feel like navigate that if at all, like, how did you deal with all that? Not at all. Um, I dealt with it on my own. And, and really I, you know, my, the key for me is I can only speak for myself, Yep. you know? So I knew going into this project that I was going to be doing it really focusing on my own experience and my own perspective and not ever speaking for anyone else or assuming what they might've thought or felt or putting words into anyone else's mouth because it's not a book about anyone except for me. Yep. So that was really the thing that sort of kept me grounded. It was how do I write about my life in a way that I'm doing so with honesty and integrity, but also honoring the fact that the way that I feel about this and would tell the story is not the story. Right. And I, and I talk about that. I mean, actually, like in the first page of the book, it's like, I can only speak from my own experience. And so this is not a book about anyone else. This is a book about me. And and we all have the right to to write about our own experiences. And sometimes that involves writing about other people because they're they're in our lives. Yeah. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. True. I also found it very interesting how you wrote in this book about your own success as an author and mm-hmm. what how that impacted your relationships and your life. And you don't often get the interior glimpse of an author's success in their writing. So I loved getting that, you know, behind the scenes look of like, what did that feel like? How did that affect everybody? Maybe you could just talk a little about that time and what that was like. Yeah. I mean, it's not uncomplicated, right? And I think, I do think this is gendered too. I think this is, if you are the primary caregiver of young children and your career takes off in some way, and it doesn't even need to be a creative career. It could be some big promotion, at, you know, a, a quote unquote regular job, which, you know, ha- I don't have <laughs> a regular job. But I think that that in particular is something that I'm hearing is resonating with women in particular who were like, how am I supposed to do all of it? I mean, how am I supposed to be 100% taking care of the kids in the house and also honoring this other part of myself that is really important to me. And so that's that's something that that I do kind of deep, you know, sort of dive deeply into in this book is it's it's not without a cost, mm-hmm. right? Like the good things that you see happening to people aren't necessarily a hundred percent good. There's like oftentimes some other trade-off or downside or complication um, because of it. And so when when my poem Good Bones went viral and I started having the opportunity to travel more for readings or book festivals, or I mean, you know, you know how this is. The question then became: well, if I've been home with the kids all this time, then what happens to the kids? for the few days a month that I need to be gone. And how, how is that handled? And, you know, it's heartening to me that I see it being handled pretty well in a lot of households. You know, I have a lot of writer friends. You have a lot of writer friends. And I see I see a, a lot of, like, rallying and support. And I see people being encouraged to live to their full potential and see where things can go. And, you know, be free to do that. And unfortunately, I also see and felt the opposite, which is it can be really inconvenient 
if you are accustomed to being around and available for you not to be around and available. So it's a big, yeah, <laughs> it's a I shift. Think, I mean, every, it's still a change, you know, like any big, great thing is still a thing that like shakes the foundation of stuff, whether it's in a good way or a bad way, things are moved and displaced a bit and they have to like resettle in a new place in a new way. Yeah. Like a, like a snow globe. And I think we, we recognize that when we know it's bad news, right? Like someone loses their job or someone is evicted from their home or there's a death in the family. And that person was the primary breadwinner. And we, we know to recognize how, how, Really, really sort of traumatic upheaval and bad news can shake a family. But I don't know that we talk enough about like how somebody's good news can be somebody else's bad news. Right. And yeah. that's, I mean, that's the, that's the hard thing to, to reckon with in a family system where you want to think that one person's good news is everybody's win. Yep. And it's not always that way. So true. Yeah. It's sort of like a star is born undertones. You know, I watched that movie oh, recently. Oh my God. So good. But. So good. <laughs> so All, good. both of them. So good. I, I mean, I actually, I should admit, I have not actually seen the original one. Is that terrible? Oh, the original is so I know. good. I know. I have to go. Yeah. Back. Okay. That's your homework now. I know. I know. <laughs> with, I know. All your, with all your free time, I want you to watch <laughs> the original and report back. Every so often I just completely crash though. And that's, and I'm like, I have to just watch the thing or, you know, and then I'm like, well, what to watch? And then I get all stressed and I'm like, I just shouldn't even relax. (laughs) Now you you have a default answer. If you need something to watch, there you go. Yeah. What do you do when you're like totally crashing and stressed? Do you watch movies, TV, TV. You know, it's funny. I don't actually watch TV generally. I'm not a TV person. I'm more of a music and book person. But when my brain is just sort of mush because I've like, just at like my output is yes. at a max and I don't feel like I can absorb too much. My my really soothing thing is to watch TV I've already watched. Mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> like start over Peaky Blinders again at the first season or start over Six Feet Under again at the first season. So then if it's not new to me. I'm not super invested. I can get up and change the laundry or make myself a sandwich and I don't have to pause it because yep. I've been through this all, but there's something like, oddly, or even like old law and order franchises, any of them. Um, I've seen it, it's formulaic and somehow it's soothing to just re-engage with some chips or some ice cream. I feel the same about sex in the city. I'm like, I've seen every episode probably twice, 20 times. I don't know. And so I could just put it on and I feel like I'm with my old friends again. And (laughs) I'm not alone in it then. I see. It's so funny. What are you writing now? What am I writing now? Well, poems when they come. And I'm so glad. Like every time one shows up and sort of taps on the window, (laughs) I'm just like, I thought the last one was the last one. I'm so happy to see you. So poems, but slowly, you know, it just, I can't force it. I just have to wait for them to come to me. Um, it's like a small wild creature. Like if you if you move too fast, you'll startle it and it'll run back into the woods. So so I have to sort of just like sit with my palms open and hope they <laughs> hope they arrive and like don't find me intimidating. So poems and then I mean the next book I have out is actually a picture book. Um oh which will be out next winter. Um, and mercifully, I did not illustrate it. So it's not just like sharpied 
stick people. <laughs> um, it's gorgeous. And so, so yeah, so I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen and, and continuing to write poems and build, build the next collection sort of poem by poem is as often as I can coax them <laughs> away from the trees and toward me in the clearing. Oh. What is the picture book called? It's called um, My Thoughts Have Wings. Um, it's coming out with HarperCollins, I think on my birthday next year, which they didn't Aww. even know. Um, but I think it's tentatively uh, my birthday next February. And it's it's really a, a sort of anxiety bedtime story for kids when you when you have those difficult tuck-ins. And your kid says something like, I'm trying to think good thoughts, but the bad thoughts keep kind of shoving them out of the way. Mm-hmm. Or I'm trying to relax, but I'm worried about what if, what about gym tomorrow? And what about my test? And what if I don't make the soccer team? And what if, what if, what if, which frankly, we all do. I could use an anti-anxiety bedtime story uh, <laughs> myself most nights. I'd probably get more rest. And so it's really about filling yourself up with good thoughts right before sleep. Wow. I need that personally. I have one child in particular who needs that. I can't wait for that. Yeah. (laughs) So you will be helping a lot of families. I know. I feel like it's so unfair that bedtime is when you're like at your most tired and it's the most challenging part of the day. (laughs) It really is. And I think, you know, kids, kids are like us, which is they're busy during the day. So they're, you know, they're occupied, they're playing, they're in school, they're doing sports, they're doing homework, they're, you know, busy, busy, busy talking with people. And then as soon as you lie down, and your mind is quiet, that's when the little whir kicks up, because then you have all this time and space to start ruminating and fretting and and you know we do it and they do it so it's it's really about kind of a strategy I came up with um with my son to kind of calm him and and get him sort of uplifted before bed interesting I keep trying the same thing that I think my mom told me and probably her mom told her which like it's gonna seem better in the morning like things in the night get so magnified I guarantee when you wake up this problem will seem really small again. But right now it's like this funhouse mirror has made it seem so huge and it won't be as bad as you think. But Oh, that's so true. I mean, I w- I'm always telling my kids, like imagine the giant timeline of your life. Yes. So like y- this one quiz in eighth yes. grade math, you probably won't remember it next year. You definitely won't remember it in five years. And it's actually not going to impact your life at all. Like none of this, pretty much none of this matters. Like the way that you treat yourself and the way that you treat other people matters, but like all of this other stuff, if you zoom up and out, it is like such a tiny dot on the big timeline. And none of this makes a difference. I don't remember anything really about eighth grade except for a bad home perm, (laughs) right? So it's fine. (laughs) I say that too. I'm like, in the grand scheme of things, on a scale of one to 10, how important is this? Like, really think about it. Like, when you look back, is this a 10 or is like this fight you're having right now really like a one? Then they're like, okay, it's like a 2.2. And I'm like, great. Okay. Yeah. Perspective, the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Need it. I need it myself a lot of the time, though. Yeah. How important is this afternoon of work? I don't know. Probably not important, but. Yeah, maybe you should just turn on A Star is Born and relax. 
Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Cut it, just cut it all off. Sorry. <laughs> Out of office. My family. Anyway, so funny. And are you reading anything good? Do you, and do you oh. have a memoir that you love? Because your memoir is such a different form from other memoirs. Are there memoirs you kind of turn to or that you love or you're reading now or any of that? Yes, for sure. I mean, I, I wrote something on my Substack recently about books as permission slips. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that you read these books that are doing something differently, like innovating stylistically or maybe just really going there yep. content-wise. And you're like, oh, so you can do this? Like, <laughs> If if they can do this, then I can do this thing that I'm that I'm attempting. And so there were a lot of books for me as I was writing. You could make this place beautiful that acted as permission slips, either in form or content. The Chronology of Water, Lydia Yuknovich. Oh my gosh, that book, Motherland by Alyssa Altman. Oh my gosh, I love gosh. that book. I, I love, that, love book. that book. Yeah, Carmen Maria Machado's in the Dream House, which mm-hmm. is almost like prose poetry. And it's sort of like repetitive form. And so, I mean, there are lots of them, but reading all of these books, a lot by poets in particular, mm-hmm. people who were taking risks gave yeah. me the sort of like shot of bravery to be like, oh, okay, like my book doesn't need to look like everyone else's book. And in fact, if it doesn't, maybe it will at some point, someday into the future serve as a kind of permission slip Perfect. for another writer who wants to tell a story and isn't quite sure how to do it. And they'll say, oh, well, this book does it in this way. That gives me permission to to take some chances. That's kind of what art is, really. I mean, not to be, you know, everything builds on something before it a little, but then it like adds to the conversation in a new way. And that's how it all (laughs) propels forward. A hundred percent. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I kind of feel like every book I've written has been sort of in part of a bigger conversation. Yep that I'm having both with myself and sort of with readers and with the world. And, and so this is just a different part of, part of that big conversation. I love, by the way, how sometimes you take poems apart and show all of us how the words you chose and like you, your markups of them. That is so cool. I love it. Oh, I'm <laughs> so doing glad. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, it's funny. I think in some ways, like that impulse of sort of peeking behind the curtain and showing how a thing was made and and writing a memoir are sort of a similar there's a, those are similar impulses i think cuz they're both kind of vulnerable mm-hmm. like let me show you this thing yes like let me show you how i made it it didn't come out fully formed it actually was really bad for a while before it got to be kind of good and memoir is the same it's sort of like vulnerable and also demystifying mm-hmm. i think like let me show you what it's really like which is not the veneer that you, it's not what you think you know. Right. But you could make it beautiful. <laughs> you could make it beautiful and and should if you can. <laughs> Maggie, thank you so much. Thanks for talking. You know, I read this book, as I said, months ago, and it's it's like, I just read it. Like, it's just seared in my mind. It's so powerful and I don't know. It hits out. It, it was just a hit home for me in, in a lot of ways. And I just loved it. And I'm so glad you're coming to book club and have more people read it. And not that you would have any trouble anyway, but um, I love sort of ushering in things that I'm like super passionate about. So this is one of those things. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Anyway. All right. Thanks, Maggie. Have a great Thanks. day. You okay. Too. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. 
Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.